Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, time to talk about my boys. Ready to preview the Yellow Jackets? Oh, yeah. It's time, Joey. It is time. It is time. It is time to bring on one of our favorite guests. Uh, I think one of the more knowledgeable people that we bring onto this show to talk about any team, uh, much less this one. Kelly Quinlan of JacketsOnline.com on the Rivals Network joins us once again. Kelly, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Excited for football season. It's, it's, it's great having you back here. Really appreciate you joining us. I, I'm always excited, obviously, to talk about my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I am an alumnus of the school, been a fan for even longer than that. So it's it's great having this conversation. I'm interested going into this this year, year three, and I get a lot of people asking questions about, you know, what what is the expectation? And is it time to start winning? You know, that kind of thing. Looking back at the first two years, I think everybody knew this was going to be a bit of a rebuild. And, and I don't think it's the win-loss records necessarily that had been the thing that had driven some frustration as much as the how of some of those games and, and some of the particular scores and some of the individual moments that have created some frustration. I mean, would you tend to agree with that? And, and what should be the expectation here coming into year three? I mean, I think, um, you know, realistically, when you go back and look at the last couple of years, they have probably five games that they lost they should have won and maybe one in Miami that they should have lost that they won, right? Mm-hmm. So there's only one sort of counterbalance to, to that. And um, even last year, there were a lot of games where they just kind of shot themselves in the foot. The pit game jumps out to my mind immediately. The egg they laid at Syracuse, not being able to close out Central Florida. Um, just a lot of kind of momentum moments where they just couldn't, couldn't finish got in their own way and that's sort of the thing that's irritating to fans because you went from a very disciplined football team with paul johnson with the option and you you knew they weren't going to like screw themselves basically and there were a lot of times where you know just guys jumping off sides you know in the red zone just really dumb mistakes like uh, fundamental stuff. And it, it's frustrating for everyone involved, including the coaching staff. You know, that wasn't necessarily the MO of, of Jeff's teams at Temple or other places he's coached or the other, you know, co- position coaches as well at their other stops. I mean, most of his staff is, you know, real veteran guys that have been doing this for a long time at a high level. So it was just, it seemed like there was, um, it was, a you know, COVID was a weird year anyways with in 2020, everyone had a bizarre season. Um, and I think Georgia Tech certainly sort of fell victim to that as well, uh, you know, losing some weird, you know, losing out on, on weeks of games and just, you know, and then they had their starting defensive ends for a total of, um, I think, one quarter at Syracuse maybe, where they had both Antonius Clayton and Sylvain Andergen <laughs> available, the two guys who are their two best pass rushers on paper. So, to me, like, I think you just have to throw that out and, and move ahead. And this year, I think what you want to see is clean football and not making mistakes, not turning the ball over six times. You don't want your quarterback to lead the nation in turnovers. That's a pretty dubious stat, even with a freshman quarterback. Jeff was very far and away the leader in that last year, which was unfortunate for him. And the bulk of his came in a couple of games where he just had like some real meltdowns and didn't. He got a lot better as the season went along, but. You know, all of those things, the young offensive line, you know, last year they were playing games. They had a center starting for the first time. You had uh, playing center for the first time. He had been a guard. You had a freshman quarterback, a freshman right tackle, and a freshman running back. So you were the middle of your, your offense and your right tackle were all newbies and very green. 
at what they were doing and, and it trickled down through their whole offense defensively. You know, I don't know what the hell happened last year. They just looked really bad. Um, you know, they had a lot of issues in the secondary they had issues getting pass rush uh, a lot. You know, it was roulette every week with which defensive linemen were available. I think that's tough to do uh, if you're any coach. So I think that this team's primed to be a lot better, but you know, I think the, they don't get maybe the benefit of the doubt that other um, programs do. Cause you know, they're in year they've won six games in two years. So I think tech tech fans are, if anything, pragmatic about a lot of things. So I think that's sort of the nature of the school teaches you pragmatism. And so I think that a lot of them just kind of want to see them do it. I think they're killing it with recruiting. They put together a really talented roster. So now it's a time to see them kind of push all of that forward now and, and make that leap into being a competitive team. Cause say what you want about Paul Johnson, but every year they were in the hunt and ACC coastal, he was the head coach, including the year, the, you know, all but one year, I think, because even the year in 2015 when they won three games, they had been very much, if you go back and look at the way the season unfolded, they were very much in the hunt for a while and lost a lot of really close games despite leading the nation in injuries that year. So, you know, competitiveness, being in the mix, those are the things. And not losing, you know, 70 to 7 to someone or whatever. Like, you can't give up 70. You can't, you know, give up 50-plus to Georgia. Like, those things – just can't happen that that's going to be the thing that that sinks his ship if they if they do that switch sunk chan right out of the gate like losing games like that year one offense had no identity because you're going through a total shift in how you're running things on that side of the ball year two offense looked a lot better defense was the issue right mm-hmm. on a kind of unexpectedly for a jeff collins coach team like you mentioned we're now in year three Jeff Collins has recruited very well. They have a lot of talent in the door. They now seemingly have an identity on offense and on defense, even though defense didn't look good last year. You knew what they were trying to do. Like, what is a what is a fair expectation now, offensively and defensively? Sims has to be better, obviously. Can't turn the ball over like he did, but they have an identity on offense. They have an identity on defense. Schedule's brutal, but it should be all systems go now in year three, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the schedule, basically they play, um, I think it's six games and then they have a bye, right? And four of those six games are games that either they should win or uh, are favorable matchups. Like they play Northern Illinois, I think went winless last year to open the season, play Kennesaw State, an FCS team. You go to Clemson, which is, you know, you're going to lose probably, and that's a tough game. You play Carolina and the Benz, that's going to be a tough game. Just that's a tough matchup because of how good they can be offensively. They play Pitt, who's, you know, the the most disappointing team in the ACC perennially since Pat Narduzzi's been there. And then you go to Duke, who's horrible, who's the worst team in the conference, probably. So they're real bad. Um, you know, if you can get out of that three and three or, or four and two, I think you're in really good shape. Because then you play both Virginia teams. Now, historically, Georgia Tech's been horrible at Scott Stadium, but um, you know that that team certainly isn't going to strike fear into the hearts of anyone. Virginia Tech is a mess, as we talked about before the started. Uh, you know, who knows what's going on by the, by Halloween and in, in Blacksburg? You know, could be um, really bad. Could also be really good. And then, and then they play Miami, who's in the same boat, who they beat down there two years ago. Yeah, where they had no business beating, and yep. then the last three games are really hard because they play Boston college. You play at Notre Dame and then Georgia, the last two are real brutal. Um, getting Notre Dame on the road and then uh, playing Georgia and, you know, playing a two thirty start at, at Notre Dame where the weather could be pretty awful in November is certainly an interesting, uh, fun aspect of the ACC's deal with Notre Dame. And then, you know, Georgia's Georgia's, you know, who knows where they're at at that point. Um, they could be competing for a playoff spot or something, or they'll not be like they have for like the last 40, 38 of the last 40 years. So um, <laughs> there it is. You know, I mean, you know, like, so either way, like, you know, the schedule's hard, man. There's a reason why it's like a top five hardest schedules. Um, but I think they do get the benefit of playing some of the teams that are going to be a little more um, tender 
in some ways, like Miami that has a tendency to quit late in the season. If they lose some early games, you play Boston college who remind me of sort of the peak of Duke where they probably have like, you know, 30 really good players. And then it kind of drops off. They don't have a lot of depth yet. Um, but I think Halfley is a really good coach. So if you can, you know, eke some wins out there, I, you know, I have them in that five to seven win range. I think, that's progress. That's something tangible. If you can get to a bowl game, that's something fans can hang their hat on. And, you know, 22 is a, a, a worse schedule. And then the thing starts to back off a little bit. I mean, in 2022, they play uh, their bit, one of their big non-conference games. They play Ole Miss and at Central Florida and, and Georgia and Athens. So that's fun. And at Florida State is their crossover game who, you know, Say what you better. want about Mike Novell, he'll have it rolling by 2022. I, I he's yeah. too good of a coach to not have it rolling. So these out of conference matchups are just like unnecessary at times. Like <laughs> I was well, like they're just them, scheduling so. games to be cheap. They want to get a home and away game, and so you know they schedule Central Florida, and like everyone's like, why? It was right when they started to get good, they scheduled the game. And it's like, what are you doing? You don't get anything out of that. You're better off playing. By playing a buy game, but they didn't want to buy a game. They didn't want to buy another Northern Illinois or whatever game, Ball State or wh- whoever it is. So they play them, which is, you know, asking for a lot of trouble when you have Ole Miss already on the schedule. It's one thing if you play Central Florida and you're not playing Ole Miss and you play Akron or whatever, but playing those three, I mean, you're just asking for trouble for your coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it starts to put a pretty low ceiling on the on the record as we sit here in August talking about it. So uh, Kelly, I'm, I'm curious to your take as well. Just we've talked about the, the uptick in recruiting that we've seen under Collins and that's been both kids from high school as well as out of the transfer portal. Um, several transfers coming in this year that we expect to make impacts uh, guys like Kyrick McGowan, uh, Devin Cochran, Kenneth Kirby on offense, Keon white, Ace Ely on defense, uh, even getting a kicker coming in from Tennessee and Brent Semaglia. I don't know if I pronounced that right or not, but I think it's close enough. I mean, that's how I would say it. So. Okay. We get the point then. Um, but, but the point basically here being that I, I think one of the things that maybe Georgia tech fans don't realize as much is just the level of like top to bottom quality in the roster that like the level of increase that we've seen in that top to bottom increase quality in the roster at this point, you know, what, what used to be maybe like, 10th, 11th best roster in the conference is probably, you know, going on like top five roster in the conference. And that's where some of these matchups that have historically been toss ups in reality, maybe they should be able to look at those more favorably here starting this year and moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think if you took um, the, like the 80 or whatever is nine, uh, 87, 88, wherever they're going to end up being with the super seniors, 90, whatever it is, scholarship guys compared it to anyone else in the league. Georgia Tech's in the top half of the league. Um, and probably for the first time since 2009, I would say that that's the case. And um, that that's encouraging. It's very encouraging if you are someone that follows Georgia Tech and understands what Jeff's trying to do and um, trying to – if you're going to do the same thing everyone else does, you have to really hustle. Uh, especially when you play the schedule they play where you're playing Clemson and Georgia every year. Um, you know, I, to me, it'll be, it's uh, what I kind of want to see is them figure out how to put the pieces in the places to make plays. I think that's where the, the issue's been the first couple of years, like figuring out how to make an offense that can move the ball. I think they were a little too infatuated with the idea of showing they could throw the football and that they were going to, not run the option anymore and and they weren't geared you know you're not playing for draft picks you got to come up with something that um is effective to win football games ultimately his job's not to you know win six games in two years and he'd tell you that like i think that was a tough lesson they kind of learned um i think they thought they were going to get a transfer quarterback the first year and i think they didn't realize how big of a challenge offensive line situation had been that had been the real weak spot of paul johnson's recruiting his last few years as offensive line coach Mike Seawalk had kind of really taken some weird kids there. That was a tough job. I will, uh, you know, I um, um, no, I guess get accused of being a little bit of a Paul Johnson defender, but that, that's why I will say that they struggled there. That was there was a lot of head scratchers there, and they've 
totally rebuilt it. I mean, if you look at their starting offensive line, um, like what I project to be, there's five guys, only one of them, Mike Minahan, is a kid they inherited. Um, and he was a kid who had played one snap for Paul uh, ever uh, when he got there. So, you know, they were starting from square one there. I think that made it tough. And then defensively, um, you know, the killer was, to be honest, when Brandon Adams died, who was an NFL draft pick, nose tackle, he was the only real veteran defensive lineman they had because they had graduated the three other main defensive linemen from the previous season. And Georgia Tech's a place where you have to develop kids over years there. You're never going to sign a bunch of five-star defensive linemen. So if you look at what they have now, you have Antonius Clayton, who was a five-star kid coming out of high school at Florida, hasn't been able to really put it together and be healthy um, yet. You have Keon White, who they brought in um, from Old Dominion, who's an NFL prospect at defensive end. At the rush end spots, you have Jordan Dominic, who was their most effective pass rusher last year and a kid named Kevin Harris they brought in and then behind them they have a lot of young guys uh, Jared Ivey Sylvain Yandajan Kyle Kennard they brought in that are going to be really good in a few years so I think if they can find a pass rush it changes the whole dynamic of the defense because that's been their issue they haven't gotten sacks they haven't been disruptive they put so much pressure on the back end of your defense when you don't do that and then you end up with your safeties looking in the backfield which is what happened all the time last year even the corners and you can't cover a guy for eight seconds either so it, it, it trickles down through your whole defense when you struggle to to get a quarter. When a quarterback can set up on his spot, he's going to pick you apart. You saw that in the Boston College game, uh, Syracuse. Some of the games they lost last year, if they just have a little bit of a pass rush, I think it changes the whole complexion of those games. And, and you know, once you, uh, once you have momentum on one side of the ball, it carries over to the other, right? So the offense is bad. The defense stresses about the offense being bad. And this is something we saw a lot with Paul Johnson. When the offense was rolling, his defense tended to play better. And when they started to struggle, it kind of went sideways. And I think this is something you see across college football. It's just there's so many emotions involved in playing it. Um, if you don't have confidence in your counterparts, it really starts to come apart. The pass rush thing specifically is something that you know, Jeff Collins teams at Temple, they could get after the quarterback a little bit. So, you know, the fact that it's kind of taken a little bit longer for that to develop at Georgia Tech, I guess it's a little bit surprising, but it was such a hefty rebuild just kind of all across the board. Um, I want to flip back to the offense real quick. So Jeff Sims throws a million interceptions, turns the ball over a ton, but he did also flash the ability showing why he was rated, what he was rated coming out of high school what's the ceiling for him? Like, I think he can be really good. Is it just the interceptions though? Or is there, or is there more to it? You know, to me, um, getting through his reads and reading the defense of the, this is the real big thing that I want to see him take the next step at. And he will be the first to tell you that too. I think there were times where he would miss um, guys in his progressions. He would get too locked onto guys and throw some picks. I think of the first interception in his career, I think it was in Florida state. You know, there's a guy running down the sideline free, but he's not free because there's a safety over the top of him and a corner underneath. He's bracketed. He just didn't see. He floats the ball out there, and I think it was Asante Samuel, whoever it was, picked it off. Easy as pie, like, and it took a scoring chance away. You know, those those balls, um, he got better at not throwing later in the year. He threw, got away with a few, but that's where you got you to gotta get those away. They got to get the tight end involved. Uh, you you know, and finding ways to get the ball to Jameer Gibbs in space and let him do his thing because he's maybe one of he's probably one of the five most dynamic offensive skill players in the ACC, and you know probably in the top twenty in college football. Like, get that dude in space, let him do his thing. Like, don't you know you don't have to pigeonhole him into being a traditional running back. And I think it's where a kid like Kyrick McGowan really helps because he can play running back. He can move into the backfield. You could do the jet sweep stuff, which they couldn't do with the Marion Brown last year. It was too small. He can run jet sweeps. He can line up in the backfield as running back. You can play Jordan Mason and Gibbs together. I mean, Georgia tech has four running backs who would start at Virginia or Virginia tech or a lot of other places on their roster. You got to use those guys, get them on the field together. If you have to come up, be creative. Right. And I think is, I think that's one of the things that was a struggle with Jeff because he was a young quarterback. I think Dave Padno, the offensive coordinator, laid back a little bit 
trying to give him too much. And I think this year they feel more comfortable. He spent the entire offseason in the OC's office, like learning stuff just on his own. Um, I think they feel more comfortable giving him more of the offense to deal with. And what's interesting too, and this is something a lot of teams don't get into, but it is important behind him. You have Jordan Yates, who's, you know, in his third year in the system is very comfortable running the offense and Trad Beatty, the kid they picked up from temple as a transfer who was their quarterback who started and won a game for them at temple. Um, he knows the offense like the back of his hand. So having a couple of guys like that, you know, maybe it takes some of the pressure off of Jeff a little bit too. And he has people he can lean on to, to ask questions to, and who are both very supportive of him too, which I think is a unique situation as well. On the other end of that passing attack, Kelly, you've got receivers and, and Jalen camp is gone. He went to the NFL he was a bit of a physical freak show. Uh, you had Amarian Brown who transferred out. He was the former freshman All-American. And and I think beyond that, you know, there were there were times where there were maybe some struggles with guys finding ways to get open at times. But I, I don't know about your take is, but I, I don't know that that was necessarily as big an issue as, you know, just Jeff Sims seeing where to go with the ball. Like, if he knows where to look and where to go with the ball, I, I think there's still some talent here in the receiving room, even if it's not – quite what you might find in the running back room. Yeah. I think we're, you know, what I want to see, you know, looking at that at the 10,000 foot level is um, I think they have guys who can catch the ball, get open. I think you saw that from Adonica Sanders last year. Malachi Carter showed flashes of it. PJ Harris was really effective uh, moving in and out of the slot as a bigger receiver, but the, I think they got to figure out who's the guy who's going to take the top off the defense. And it can't just be Jameer Gibbs. You need a vertical, real vertical threat. Avery Boyd is the guy that I kind of wonder about there um, who got hurt. He played like two snaps and like got hurt last year. It was sort of really flukish, but he's a bigger guy, like six, three that can fly. Uh, yeah. You know, Kyrick McGowan, who's a little bit of that X factor as well. Yeah. It's where it gets interesting with, you know, maybe that's where you see some of these younger kids. They have, Kalani Norris had a really big spring for them. Nate McCollum uh, at the in the slot, those two guys, and then the two freshman slots are, can fly. Uh, Jamal Haynes and, and Malik Rutherford. So it'll be interesting to see what what those guys do as well. well one more thing, Kelly, that I, I feel like we need to talk about with the offense. There's, I feel like there's still a little bit of a perception for folks who don't follow this program all that closely that well, we're still transitioning away from the offense or from the option. And, you know, the offensive line still kind of undersized. That is is no longer the case. Like, no, if, at this no, point, no. if the offensive line is getting beat, it's not because they're not big enough or strong enough. Like, there is size and there is talent at this point in this offensive line to where, in my mind, that, that excuse of transitioning from the option is no longer an excuse. No, I mean, if you look at it, Devin Cochran was a starting left tackle in the SEC for multiple years. Um, you know, Ryan Johnson was a starting guard in the, in the SEC at Tennessee and has started at Georgia Tech for a full season. You have uh, Kenneth Kirby, the kid they picked up from Norfolk State, who is an NFL prospect, was on draft boards this offseason um, for this prior and decided he wanted to go play big boy football for a year in the, in the, P, in the P5. And, you know, and Minahan was not a small guy at center. And then you might have Jordan Williams playing guard at, you know, whatever he is, 6'6", six, six, you know, 330 or whatever Jordan Williams weighs right now. He might be your left guard or right guard, um, depending on what they do there. So, yeah, I mean, literally, like, there's no one left other than Kenny Cooper, who's sort of relegated a backup role just because of injuries, that played at all in the triple option, that played any snaps that was – a factor there's no upperclassmen left there's a handful of kids i think there's like four guys maybe left that was even recruited by paul johnson on the offensive line so yeah it's changed it's totally changed out i mean thinking off the top of my head i think you have minahan austin smith who's also in that mix for a guard job kenny cooper and Jamal Camp, who they signed in that first class. And I think that might be it for guys who are left out of 15 scholarship offensive linemen. So, yeah, that that excuse doesn't fly anymore. And I think Brett Key would tell you that. He's – oh, Mike May, that's the other one. If, if you know, you've turned over two-thirds of the offensive line at least now, 
that that kind of goes out the window to me. And I think um, you got to figure figure it out. They get paid a lot of money. Figure it out. Like figure out a way to be effective. Come up with a scheme that can be effective. There's a lot of ways to uh, you know roast a chicken or whatever weird <laughs> uh, analogy you want to use. Um, you know, More of a beef cake. guy myself, but you know whatever works. Yeah, to smoke a brisket. There's a lot of different. There are a lot of different ways to smoke a brisket. There's the Texas, you know, uh, acceptable way, and with salt and pepper, and that's people who believe in rubs, and you know they probably get shot to death in Texas if they tried to to use a rub on a brisket. So yeah, I mean I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can do this, um, but you got to figure out a way to get. And it's the same thing with the defense, right? You like be productive. Figure out a way to do it. You get there's teams that have lesser talent who are more effective on, on both sides of the ball. And that's where you want to see guys coach them up. And, and I think Jeff understands that. And, you know, that's where the, the rubber meets the road. And I think the coaches understand that too. And I think the players too, I mean, I think they're frustrated, but with the, with the lack of success and they want to be good and, you know, they have guys who have NFL talent. I mean, Tariq Carpenter and Wanya Thomas have NFL talent in my opinion. Um, get them to where they're playing like that. You know, some of that is coaching. Kelly, I promise I'm not trying to get you in trouble here, but what do you think the perception is of Jeff Collins specifically on the defensive side of the ball, considering what we've seen here in the first couple of years? So it's interesting. Last year, Jeff spent most of the year as the COVID police. He was like the guy at practice, making sure people were not staying too close to each other between drills and really in the first season, he was like very much in running all of the drills with the safeties and hands-on in the meetings. And I, I don't think he will tell you this, but my honest read from talking to people around the program and even Jeff is he was buried last year with, with dealing with all the COVID stuff. And it was such a nightmare just trying to keep kids healthy enough to play and keep the staff healthy enough to coach. And I mean, they had games where they had like, you know, no receivers coach because the receivers coach was in protocols and, you know, they played NC state. They had three defensive ends, uh, two true freshmen, a walk on, and they moved Charlie Thomas. who was like, you know, 200 pounds to, to play who had started the season as a safety started at defensive end against NC state. You know, that's how crazy last year was. So, you know, Jeff has this MO as being a really good defensive coach. Um, the kids believe in it. And, and honestly, from talking to parents of um, some of the players, they see it when he's able to interact with them on that level. So uh, yeah. And I think, you know, he, he made the decision to, to bring Andrew who was, you know, kind of his protege, Andrew Thacker is the DC and, and didn't bring in like a real veteran name guy or an older guy that he knew. And so there's, you know, a lot of scrutiny on that rightly or wrongly. And I think Andrew's a very good young coach. Um, and, you know, some of it's fair and some of it's unfair. And I think that's the nature of trying to coach defense in 2021 is it's pain in the butt, like everything's stacked against you. Um, and, and just in the way the schemes are, I, I talked to a buddy who's a, a head coach in, in college football and a defensive coordinator for a number of years. And he was telling me that, had he known what was going to happen in college football, you know, 30 years ago, he would have focused on the other side of the ball and been an offensive coordinator. Cause he said, it's insane trying to, to be a DC these days, like with the spread and the tempos and all that, that it just changed the whole game complexion of the game. And it, you know, go look at the scores, man. And then they, you know, all the stuff they call targeting and the tackling issues and all of that stuff. It makes it very hard. Like it's, it gets frustrating even for some fans, older fans, to watch the game just because of how soft it appears at times. Yeah, for sure. It almost makes me wonder if, you know, defensive coordinators today are top, you know, two or three guys in the country at their craft, like the Brett Venables of the world. Like, what would they have been even like 20 years ago? Like, how good would they have been in that era? Um, sure. And if you look at Brett, man, they lay eggs every once in a while, too. Look at the bowl the, game, Ohio State game, you know, yeah. like, yep. I mean, that he had he has nothing but dudes, right? 
and they were struggling against fields and that offense that was just clicking and they got in a rhythm and it was over for them. Like once yep. they hit that rhythm and that's the whole nature of that offense, man. Yep. Like once you, if you're in a rhythm, you're, you're cooked. Yep. I, I, one of the things defensively, Kelly, I think it's interesting is that, you know, the, the last two years you had the same leading tackler and David Curry, he's gone. I think there's it's it's up in the air. It's up to different people's opinions on you know how much that's an enormous loss for the defense. I think people have differing opinions on him, but I will say, I mean, they bring back for what seems like the third straight year. I think the whole time under Jeff Collins, they've had basically the same personnel in the secondary. Um, I, and and last year, you know, you kind of mentioned that from 2019 to 2020, even having the same personnel. I mean, they struggled like they I saw a significant step up in 2019 and a step back in 2020. I don't know. You mentioned that, you know, Collins previously had been coaching the secondary pretty heavily, maybe last year, not so much, you know, but clearly there's talent there. I, I'm, I'm just generally curious to get your thoughts on that unit coming into this year and, and what to expect from them. It was sort of interesting. Last year, the corners played OK at time, and you had Zamari Walton had a pretty good season. Trace Willing was okay. Um, and you had guys like uh, Tobias Oliver and Miles Sims who flashed at times. You know, really, the, the only two guys in the rest of the secondary played well were Wanye, who played okay. He would tell you to play up to his level. And I thought Wesley Walker had a pretty good season at the nickel. But the rest of the defense is all four-star guys, like really talented guys, guys that played really well the year before and just struggled. And – he had a couple of new pieces like Derek Allen, the transfer from Notre Dame and Derek had to kind of knock rust off and hadn't played in two years. And yeah, it, it was just a weird deal. And, um, you know, I think my personal opinion about some of those, they were so thin at linebacker. They overplayed David Curry and Quez Jackson. And those guys were just beat half the time exhausted, uh, you know, playing 80 snaps a game, which is insane for anyone at linebacker with the way they have to run. So now you have Ace Ely, who they brought in from Maryland. He replaces David Curry. I think it's a step up in terms of raw athleticism. He got voted a team captain after, you know, four months on campus, which is pretty impressive. Uh, you have Charlie Thomas back there. I think that's where he should have played all along. They tried him out at safety, and he got burnt like toast left in the toaster too long <laughs> trying to play safety. And, you know, uh, they have some younger guys, Trinellis Tatum, Katavian Franks, that can – maybe help there a little bit too. You know, the secondary though, yeah, Jeff is very much heavily involved with the safeties. That's his thing. And really the overall DBs, if you go watch a Georgia Tech practice, Jeff is working those guys out. That's where he spends the bulk of his time when they're in individual drills. He will be over with the safeties, much like Paul Johnson was always with quarterbacks. You know, when yeah, if you have an expertise, you're going to lean your expertise in. And it's weird because the, you know, two things that Jeff really hangs his hat on are defense and special teams. And, you know, other than the punting game last year, the, the special teams were not, were not special or they were special, I guess, just not in the right way. And, you know, the defense was bad a lot and let them down a lot. Uh, really other than maybe the Florida state game and maybe against Pitt. Um, so I think there's a lot of room for improvement, but yeah, when you're, that's one of those things like, you know, when Chan Gaylor was a coach, when the offense sucked, people got really up in arms about Chan. Uh, same with Paul when the offense was bad, you know, and that's the nature of, of having a coach who's focused on one side of the ball. I think, you know, other than Frank Beamer, I can't think of any like special teams coaches that are head coach, you know what I mean? Like, so everyone always has like a side of football that they're, they're locked in on and, um, and, you know, that that's where it's going to get criticized. And, and that's where Jeff has to kind of step it up, too, because he's a guy with a good reputation. So in order to recruit, do the things he wants to do, they got to be salty on defense. And, you know, I'm not expecting them to go out there and be the, the 85 Bears or something, but you can don't be in the bottom half of the league. Right. Like that's if you do that, if they're not in the bottom half of the league in offense and defense, they'll go to a bowl game like pretty much with guaranteed. We'll bridge this into scheduling here in a minute, but Kelly, in, in your opinion, what 
is a reasonable expectation. If you're a Georgia Tech fan like Joey, an alum of the program, right? Alum of the school, not the program. Joey did not play football at Georgia Tech. Um, <laughs> if that you was, are that was alum, best for all involved. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that wouldn't have been good. You could have played <laughs> offensive line for Paul Johnson. Now you could have been, you know, undersized guy. I'm sure Cutting guys. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What's a reasonable expectation for a Georgia Tech fan, like given the schedule and, you know, you're still trying to cement your identity and, but you have all this talent. Defense was bad last year. Like even just aside from wins and losses, what do you think is a reasonable expectation? I'm going to turn on a Georgia Tech football game this year. What am I going to see? They are in most of the games other than maybe Clemson and Georgia. Um, even at Notre Dame, they should be in that game. Like, uh, you know, be competitive. You don't want to see these games or you're down three scores at halftime and, They've done a decent job of that. They, um, you know, even when Georgia schlacked them Jeff's first year, the at halftime, the game was actually closer. They pulled away in the second half really because of a lot of miscues. But yeah, like just don't, you know, don't give up 70 to Clemson when they put the punter in to play quarterback to let him throw a touchdown. Like stuff like that is just, you know, like, that's the the pride factor and having some pride and being competitive that's what they want like having a team that's makes some plays that you can cheer for being you know in the top four in the acc coastal acc coastal is still garbage like you should be able to finish in I the top four i mean really like everyone's hanging their hat in north carolina i think north carolina has yet to have they haven't had a defense since butch davis left and um you know, they lost a lot of guys in offense and yeah, they have Sam Howell, but I don't see it. I don't see a team that's going to be an elite team there. And Miami's Miami, man. Prove it to me, dude. I've been watching this for, what is it? <laughs> 15 years of them doing Jack. Like they've had one decent season in 15 years, despite, you know, they probably have, I would With bet they have luck. maybe the third most or second most guys in the NFL, right? In the ACC. And you got one division title to show for that in a crappy coastal. that has been crappy really since probably what 2010, um, yeah. 2009, maybe even. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not been great. You've had freaking Duke won the damn coastal, like before, <laughs> before Miami, I'm pretty sure actually. Right. Like, didn't they win before Miami finally won it? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I Duke, think that's right. Yeah. yeah Duke, like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on, like, so don't you know? And I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not been bought in on Manny Diaz though. I did have a funny moment with him. I'll tell you guys off the air. Uh, ACC <laughs> kickoff. Um, but yeah, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's a bunch of sort of average teams playing each other. You know, like it's like the NL East or something. Like you just. Oh yeah. There, you know, like. A different team seems to win it every year, but they're still like not great and probably aren't going to go very far in the playoffs. Like it's the same thing, right? Like whoever they're pl- lining up to get their ass kicked by Clemson and the championship game in Charlotte. So it's get higher up in that line. You don't want to be sixth or seventh or whatever. You need to be like in the top half of the, um, in that pecking order. And I think that's a realistic, uh, Goal for Georgia Tech. I, I just, you know, having covered Paul too, where they were so competitive every year, I think it's just frustrating. I mean, I think Georgia Tech finished. What did they? Because last year was there was no division, so they finished like, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They finished like tenth or something, tenth or eleventh out of fifteen out of fifteen last year because Notre Dame was in. That's not that's not going to cut it. Like you got to be higher up than that. Yeah, and you got the talent to do it for sure. Um, Schedule-wise, Kelly, we we do have a couple of listener questions that are kind of related here. Uh, We had Shane who asked, I'm using the goes to a bowl game as my threshold for calling it a good year. Is that an unreasonable expectation? I feel like it shouldn't be in year three, the obvious counterpoint being the schedule. And then Keith Derrick asks, how much money should I put on GT making a bowl game this year? I think we were talking about this before the show started, but the lot was the line five and a half now in Vegas. It's it's crept up. I I thought I remembered it at four or four and a half, and it's all the way up at five and a half now. Yeah, that's a that's a fool's bet. Um, 
I mean, if your heart's really in it, you bet the six, they'll get to six. But yeah, I mean, I think a bowl game is, I think that's what Jeff would tell you. Their offseason motto is win, right? And I forget what it stands for, but like. I, think I saw the shirt today. It's what's important now. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yep. <laughs> sure. So whatever. yeah, what's important now is proving they can win because ultimately, <laughs> right? Like Jeff's going to hang his thing on recruiting ultimately. And honestly, the thing that's going to kick that up another level, they're in this range where they can finish in the top 30 with him pretty regularly recruiting. They need to be in the top 20 to be where they can start to compete better against George and Clemson, who they got to face every year. And that's ultimately where you, you have to shoot for that. Right. So to get there, you got to start going to bowl games and showing that you can make that jump. And I've had coaches tell me like, if, you know, at Georgia Tech, if we win, that's this is what they'll say. Then they think they can swing some pretty big kids at the end and kids. that would be a difference maker for the program. And I think that's what you got to do. And I think if you don't win, it could have the opposite effect where it has a real negative effect on your recruiting class and kids start to jump off the boat as spots open up in other places. So yeah, you got to win, man. Like you're not going to beat Florida state on kids. If you're not, if you both right now, you're both losing. So that's fair enough, but eventually they're going to turn it around and some of these other teams are going to turn it around. And so you've got to win. And that's what the, you know, that's what he gets paid all that money for. It's why the staff makes a bunch of money. It's why they've invested in the facilities and all those other things. They want to have a winning football team and, you know, and fans are, you're going to have apathy start to set in. And if year three, you're not competitive and you're not winning and, and, you know, you go to Mercedes Benz and get schlacked by North Carolina, that's not going to do much for your program. Like, and that's that apathy is a killer, but like, it's one thing if people are upset, but they're still going, it's when they don't care that it becomes a real big issue. And we are at a turning point in college football with all the stuff that's going on with realignment and, and the playoff, whether it'll be or not. And, you know, all the money involved and, and Georgia tech should be a, um, a top five program in the ACC. And they haven't been really since 2016. So you know, that's tough, right? Because you've had Florida State go down in that same time, and who's, you know, probably the second best program in the, in the conference. Um, and you've had Miami be a dumpster fire off and on. <laughs> so, you know, and then you have Virginia Tech, who was the other bell cow of the league, just, you know, crumble in the wake of Frank Beamer. Like, so, you know, to me, like, it's, this is a, you know, a pretty big season, I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think Jeff needs like kind of a signature win again. I think that Miami win was a cool win, but you know, if he beat Carolina and the Benz, that would be a pretty big deal. You know, if you go uh, beat Miami again and, and Coral Gable, or sorry, Miami gardens, you know, play Coral Gables um, and the Dolphins stay in the hard rock, or, you know, you go beat Notre Dame or something that will get people fired up and it will carry momentum going forward and momentum's what you need in college football to, to make a lot of things happen. And ultimately too, you know, they're very good at playing the transfer game. They're always going to keep spots there. That's what's going to get you those elite transfers more elite than even the ones they're getting now. If you have a winning program, you know, what are the things, you know, I talk to recruits all the time. What are they looking for? They want to be a part of a winning program. That's like one of the first things they will say. So you got to win. And if you don't win, um, everyone uses against you ultimately. And that's tough when you're going against Auburn and Clemson, Florida and Florida state for kids. It's what's important now, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta win brutal schedule. Gotta win. Um, Kelly, you said anywhere in the five, to seven win range. If we had to, you know, gun to your head, what's the record Where what are you rolling with? Six in the regular season. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, if I were to, to to go through the schedule today, I think they win the first two. You lose the next two. I think they split with Pitt and Duke. That gets you to three and three. Three, three and three. three. Yeah. Okay. I think they beat Virginia. I don't. That's four four and three. Um, and then I think they split between VT and Miami. And I think they lose the last three probably, or they, I think they'll win one of the three against Virginia tech, Miami or BC. 
Um, and that gets you to six wins. Um, you know, there, the margin of error is very thin as that was one of Paul Johnson's, uh, favorite lines. (laughs) And, uh, it is for this team, right? Like, you know, if Gibbs gets hurt or Jeff Sims or, you know, they, Jeff Sims starts turning the ball over or whatever, you can't, they can't afford to have, um, they can't afford to have the type of clunkers they've laid out the last few years, like against the Citadel or, or uh, Syracuse last year. Like, and, you know, think about that too. Like just those two games, it's two more wins. You're at, you know, eight wins in two years. That's not terrible, like for a rebuild, but you're at six now, which is not good. So you gotta, they gotta push, move that needle a little bit more. And I think that's, you know, going to make or break Jeff Collins, really, to be honest with you. I think these next two years will determine whether or not he's going to be a successful long-term co- coach at Georgia Tech. We yeah. have one more question come in from Shane asking, who wins the Tech Mobile game this year against Virginia Tech? I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, Kelly, because I got a couple thoughts. I mean, I think <laughs> Shut up, Virginia- Joey. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Like, God. I mean, I think Virginia Tech's pretty – I think Fuente's on fumes there, and I've not seen anything to 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 make me feel very differently. They've struggled in Atlanta playing Georgia Tech. Um, you know, I like I like the Jackets um, there. You know, really, that was the one aberration game uh, two years ago. That was the one that was like really ugly on paper when they lost. I think it was forty-two to ten or whatever. Kick the Virginia piss Tech. out of them. Yeah, yeah, and like afterwards, Don't forget, I was talking. I was talking to a but well, he could bring back what they did in Blacksburg twice with the backup quarterbacks and center and, and the, yeah, the backup center quarterback and running back. Oh, of, worst one of the worst losses of, and that was year one. That was one of the worst. This one of the worst losses of Fuente's career. Swear was, to God, they I just lost imposed a lot their will. <laughs> I just remember sitting in the press box. We saw who was like they kind of did a fake out where they had Justin Thomas warm up and and Freddie Bird in the center. And then they went over to the sideline when the team went out, and I looked over at the guy that sitting next to me, and I was like, "Oh, this is not going to go well for Georgia Tech." And then they just came out, and when they muffed the opening kickoff, is that what I forget what happened? I think that's yeah, what, they kicked a field goal or something, and then yeah. it just went sideways from there. But yeah, I mean, you know, like Virginia Tech to me is a team that's. They need to start. I think they just need to fire their coach and start over. Um, to be <laughs> blunt about it, I think he's doing a horrible job in recruiting. I'm pretty familiar with the kids they're taking over the last two cycles, and it's not guys that belong at a place like Virginia Tech. To be honest with you, I think they're out recruiting Coastal Carolina and you know Temple for kids. Like that's not <laughs> that's not a re- and and then taking kids trying to take weird kids from Texas and. It just is a weird, like, you know, if you're going to go with a weird model, look at what Dave Clawson's doing at Wake. You could do a plussed up version of that. Yeah. Where you sign a bunch of kids that you like a lot, redshirt them and build the program up. But what they're doing just is weird. Um, it sort of reminds me of like when, um, you know, Bla- and not to put down, I like Blacksburg fine, but it reminds me a lot of like when, uh, Bill Snyder left Kansas State and they hired Ron Prince and yeah, it just went completely off the rails because he didn't, didn't understand how to win there and what the what you needed to do to win there, right? Like and what you gotta do to win there is recruit the DMV hard and Tidewater and that whole basically just set up a shop on I ninety five, right? Yeah. And that's where you recruit, not North Carolina, mm-hmm. West you know, western North Carolina and Texas and Tennessee and all the weird places they've been recruiting, taking kids from New Jersey that are, you know, get, got dropped by Wake Forest. Like, like yeah. that's not like when a kid gets dropped by Wake Forest and you take them and are excited about it, that's a problem. And that's what's <laughs> going on there right now. Like, and, you know, it, it's sad for the league because that's a team that should be good. They have, they have like an SEC type fan base in a lot of ways. And man, they're just, you know, you look at their class, they took, you know, their highest, I think their highest ranked kid was like one that like a bunch of people kind of dropped as an in-state kid that was that running back, uh, Ramon Brown or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
you know, he was a kid or a bunch of schools like, eh, you know, like they took a tie, they stole a tight end from Georgia tech to Quan, Wright, Who's a project kid. Like he came to the middle of Georgia to get a, a tight end. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's, you know, a good kid who has a lot of upside crap. He's like, you know, like, uh, they got to win now. Like that's not the kind of kids you can take when you got to win now. Like they, they, the best way to describe it. And Joey and I've talked about is Fuente still recruits. Like he's the coach at Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you're missing is like some of those Memphis kids really like that would really set things off. Cause they really have a lot of kids getting in uh, trouble up there. Uh, like <laughs> one of my old buddies used to say, you can have two kids from Memphis, but you got to put them in opposite end of the dorm. If you get a third one, you're in deep trouble. Jeez. You're going to end up on probation or getting fired. <laughs> All that to say you like Georgia Tech in that game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just – I think they'll be pissed off. They didn't play last year. They beat Georgia Tech's ass in the last game. I think they'll be fired up for that one. Um, and, you know, by that point, Fuente may, you know, be trying to call up you know, Texas state or something to get that job. Like, <laughs> I mean, moving up in the world is trying to get that Baylor job. That's all I know. Like I had a buddy who was trying to get on his staff at Baylor. That's how much everyone thought that was happening. Yeah. That was a done deal. I think, I think I agree, Kelly, that, I, I mean, just that deep in the year, getting that game in Atlanta and all that, I, I feel better about that game than I have in. It's homecoming, game. Joey. Man, come on, that's the homecoming game. Yeah, I'll you know I'll probably be there. I that, don't know. That maybe. shows you where you are in the world. That Virginia Tech's now homecoming game for Georgia Tech. Like that's how far off the Hokies have fallen. That would have been like a ABC like eight PM Saturday night game like ten years ago. <sighs> oh, I was so there. Two thousand nine. I was there. Great night. Great night. It'll be. It will be fine. And. <laughs> You know, I think about the game, the Thursday night game in Blacksburg in 2010. That was a great game uh, until Nesbitt broke his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, like, you know, like that's how far things are falling off. They're in the realm of Duke and like Duke and Boston College and Wake Forest, Syracuse. Those are the teams that normally get like a homecoming in, in league game. And Virginia Tech's now fallen from being a perennial powerhouse to, to being Georgia Tech's homecoming game. <laughs> oh, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Do you have I'm a record prediction, to... Mike? I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> I, so they're not going to lose to Kennesaw State, right? They damn well had better not. I mean, I think if the, the <laughs> if they do, that's like, bordering on bill lewis territory for georgia tech fans that would be a really really bad situation they just like they should be able to line up their twos and beat kennesaw statement i say that brian bohan is a friend of mine i got several friends on the staff at kennesaw they are very good coaches they got talent they tell you there's no way in hell they should beat georgia tech um just on a straight talent basis so yeah to me like that's uh, uh that's that that would be such a momentum killer like you'd have no one show up the rest of the season probably for games like you cannot lose that game yeah agree um he's already been afforded one of those with the citadel that was like yeah and that was a horrible what? citadel team he lost to right. him, by the way too that right was not a very good citadel i think they won five games that year including yeah. the tech game if you're not if you're not lose to a military school don't lose to that one mm. um I think I'm going to go with five and seven, three and five in conference. I, I think they split the non-con, obviously, Northern Illinois and Kennesaw. I, I do think Georgia Tech wins both of those games, Notre Dame and Georgia. It's just back-to-back, you know, late in the year. Georgia's going to be really good. Notre Dame is – they're not going to be playoff good, I don't think. But, you know, I think the floor for them is probably eight and four, nine and three at this point with the way Brian Kelly recruits. So those are those are two tough games in the non-con. I think they split the non-con two and two, and then I ever just have a really hard time believing they're going to they're not going to win at least three games in conference play. The coastal's too muddied. Uh, you know, Duke, UVA. We just shat on Virginia Tech for twenty minutes. I, you know, I, there there are some winnable games there. And again, like 
we talk about the talent Miami has. Miami's capable of losing any week. Like they could play, you know, mm-hmm. line up your 11 against Miami's 11. They're capable of losing. Um, it's not out of their own possibility. We think Pitt could be decent, but Pitt also can't run the football as well as they could a few years ago with Allison and Hall and Kenny Pickett. He's been on the planet for like 40 years and <laughs> he's been at Pitt for 30 of them. And he's still just the same guy hasn't thrown more than 13 touchdowns in a season yet. And it's unbelievable to me. Um, so that's, that's a game that Georgia tech could win, especially at home. I think they win three conference games. I think they get to five, six would six would be a great year. I think, um, I, I was going into this preview thinking, yeah, Georgia Tech's going to go four and eight, but I just think the coastal is just too unpredictable because Kelly, I agree with you. Like Miami's got a ton of talent, prove it. North Carolina's lost a lot of talent, but nobody wants to talk about it. Cause Sam Howell's a quarterback. Um, I do think North Carolina's defense will be very good. Um, they were just average last year, but they had a lot of young guys playing significant roles, but the coastal's wide open. In my opinion, I think Pitt could easily step up and surprise people and win the division. I think Virginia Tech, as much as we shot on them for 15 minutes, they could, there's still talent. There's good, you know, the defense, I think, is going to be a lot better. They have talent at the skill positions. I just, they could be good or they could be really bad. There's just a lot of variability. So I'm, I'm just going to say five and seven, stick with that. I think it's a safe bet, three and five in conference play. And I think that's a solid year with the schedule as tough as it is. I think I'm with you. I'm five and seven, three and five here. You know, the way that I see it, I'm, I'm looking at what Bill C used to uh, project the season with SP plus. He's got the five likely losses being Clemson, Miami, Georgia, North Carolina, Notre Dame. I just, I, I have a hard time seeing Georgia tech win any of those, even if they had kind of proved it a little more last year, like, all five of those teams, I mean, just from a roster standpoint and from a starting to put it together standpoint, I, I struggle to see that. He's got the three likely wins, Kennesaw State, Northern Illinois, and Duke. I really just want to think that they're going to win all those games by 10 <laughs> points or more. Right. So I'm going to go 3-0 there. And then there's four toss-ups, Boston College, Pitt, at Virginia, Virginia Tech. I mean, if you split those, that's 5-7. and seven. And that's – I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation. I, I mean, I think – Kelly, if they go six and six and they make a bowl game, that is an un, uh, unqualified success of a year. And I, I, I have a hard time imagining them getting to that mark and me not feeling a hell of a lot better about this program moving forward, you know, under Jeff Collins and in future years. I think that would be a real, real sign of, of success and something to hang your head on moving forward as a, as a fan. So the where I could get to seven is the four games before you get the Notre Dame Georgia at the end are really interesting to me because three of those teams are extremely thin. You have Virginia, Virginia tech and BC who are all thin, very thin teams who will have played a very tough. Each of them play a pretty rough sked of games going into that. And Miami who may be completely off the reservation. Let's face it. They were terrible on offense without Derek King. Right. So you don't know what he's going to be like um, coming off the knee injury, like, you know, are they rushing him back? Is he going to get hurt again? Like, I always think of Deshaun Watson in 2014. Like, um, when I see somebody rushing back from an injury at quarterback that runs, like, that scares the hell out of me uh, looking at that. Like, so that's where I think their season turns one way or the other is that stretch of games. Because, you know, you could go one and three or you could go three and one or you probably going to go two and two in that stretch. So, um, two and two probably puts them at six, right? And you know, three gets you to seven, and out of one of the terrible bowl, and probably not going to the Boston Bowl then, or whatever the hell the <laughs> shitty bowl is, they replace the Quick Lane Bowl, where I have to travel like the day of Christmas Day or something insane to go cover it. Um, I haven't even looked at the bowl schedule. That that shows you how far things have fallen off these days that I'm not even looking at the bowl schedule. <laughs> Normally I'd like be looking at that, thinking about wh- where I might be going in December or whatever, and I haven't even thought about it because that's so far off my radar right now after the last couple of years. Yep. Uh, December 29th is the Fenway Bowl <laughs> in, in Boston. I'm sure it'll be lovely uh, Good weather. weather. 
Go Sox. You could really put together a really nice Jeopardy category of ACC bowl tie-ins. But oh, and that game's at 11 a.m. By the way, the Fenway Bowl. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> On ESPN. How awesome is that? It's it's bookended by the uh, Pinstripe Bowl, uh, and the night before is the Guaranteed Rate Bowl in Phoenix. I'll block my calendar. Yeah, so you, know, you can just pull like an all-nighter. You can watch that Guaranteed Rate Bowl that kicks off at 10.15 Eastern p.m. I'll bet on it. Then... <laughs> I mean, there will be action on it. That's right. There, there will the be. one I'm holding out hope for is the Holiday Bowl. Like, oh, that's yeah. where I want to go, San Diego. Don't don't yeah. send me to Boston or New York. Send me yeah. to San Diego. San, Di- San Diego in December is pretty damn good. San Diego anytime. Truth be told, I've heard good things. I don't, I, I don't want to go to Annapolis. I don't want to go to Boston. I don't want to go to New. York. Certainly, don't want to go to New York City. Like between Christmas and New Year's, it's a ch- cheap trip for uh, business purposes. Uh, yeah, like, bottom line, would not enjoy that. Yeah, no doubt, not at all. Mike, that's all I got for Kelly. Anything else while we got him? I don't think so. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem, guys. Informative as always. I feel better about Georgia Tech just in general. I Do you feel worse about Virginia Tech now after we've talked? <sighs> no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I know what they are. They're either going to win five games or nine. That's They'll probably be somewhere in the middle. Are you nervous about that Richmond game? Is Richmond still good? <laughs> <laughs> no, no not, not nervous about Richmond. Um I probably should be more nervous about Richmond than Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee is a trap game between North Carolina and West Virginia. The the, the trap of going zero and three. <laughs> the trap of going zero and three. This whole podcast oh, is just psychological torture for Mike. It's it'll be fine. They could also be three and zero there. Yeah, um, I, I'm willing <laughs> to make a hefty wager right now with you that they will not oh, be. I, I I don't I don't I don't believe they'll be three and zero. I think it's on the table. Um, I mean, West Virginia, weren't they bad last year? I'm not even like following them. Decidedly, like, decidedly average middle Tennessee. Virginia Tech should beat middle Tennessee and North Carolina. If you're going to get them, get them in the opener. Cause seriously, like what's well, in Blacksburg, right? It's in Blacksburg. It's the opener. North Carolina's replacing a lot on offense. I, that's the time to get them. I mean, yeah, those kids they got are still pretty good. Like I've seen they're a lot. Good. Like Josh Downs is really good. They're good. I mean, they'll be good. Those little running backs behind the two that left were pretty good. Yeah. They get that Notre Dame game uh, in, in lane. Will that be their first time in lane? No. They played in lane a few years ago. Okay. And, uh, God, what, what running back was it that ran all over them? Notre Dame just rotates running backs. It's unbelievable. Um, but, anyway, yeah, it was competitive until around halftime. Uh, Ryan Willis fumbled and Notre Dame scooped and scored and then scored on like the first three possessions of the second half the game was over. So this is where it still gets me, man. Like Virginia Tech, they play Syracuse and Boston College in the crossover. Georgia yeah. Tech plays Clemson every year and Duke plays Wake Forest and, you know, Virginia's playing Louisville, you know, that, that great rivalry of Virginia and Louisville football. Um, <laughs> It, they need to. They really do need to rethink all of this. I'm it's a joke. I mean, I told you guys. My my idea is you just go old ACC, new ACC, and you split the league up that way, and put all the Big East teams together, and put all the old ACC teams together. I think you would have a more interesting league because you'd have Clemson. You have a little more balance there with um, the powers, especially right now, uh, versus you know the mediocre coastal, but. They don't want to do it. So, well, we're, just one, uh, we're one West Virginia edition away from having a full 18 Big East, former Big East division. So, you have the pods, baby. You'll have the pods where you have Georgia Tech playing like Florida State and Miami in a pod <laughs> every year in Clemson. <laughs> yeah. So that, that would be how they go with it. I'll immediately regret everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. You want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Yeah, uh, jacketsonline.com. Um, if you subscribe soon, GT2021 is the promo code. Give you free access to the first game. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kelly underscore, underscore Quinlan, K-L-L-Y underscore Q-I-N-L-A-N. And, uh, yeah, I cover the, the, the jackets and um, 
have for I'm the longest tenured full-time beat writer covering Georgia Tech, surprisingly, so uh, since 2009. Yeah, and full disclosure, I'm a subscriber, and I've, I've told people many a time on this podcast that if you're a Georgia Tech fan and you care enough about college football to, uh, to be listening to this podcast, chances are it is well worth your $100 a year to go subscribe to Jackets Online. The, the level of information on the program and recruiting and everything is is well well worth it highly recommended so yeah kelly it's always a privilege having you on here thanks so much for joining us we look forward Appreciate to uh, chatting with you again sometime soon thanks, thanks guys all right mike that was kelly quinlan uh once again jacketsonline.com on the rivals network at kelly underscore quinlan on twitter we got to get out of here we got more team previews to do but we're halfway there we are i think there's a song about that i don't remember but um <laughs> In, bon Jovi. Oh, that's right. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, in case you forgot. In any case, in the meantime, people can come find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, he's at Kelly underscore Quinlan. Go find him on Twitter. Um, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, basically anywhere you can go find your podcasts. Please go find us there. Share us with your friends. Hit the follow button. Subscribe. Rate us. Do those good things. Uh, Mike, they can also send us emails with their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And once again, that was Keith and Shane who sent emails in. So thanks to them. And once again, if you have questions for uh, some of these previews coming up, hit us up there and uh, you'll probably get featured on the show as well. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us in the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash rate review. Find all your podcasts there. Go to Instagram. At BC Podcast ACC, we are posting there, and we have followers now. Absolutely, <laughs> we are we are true millennials now, Mike. That we have we've the, done it. The Instagram account going, so we've done it. I haven't posted a single thing. You've posted everything. Full disclosure. <laughs> I just well, we're still way behind as as it would happen. So either yes. way, whatever. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. On to the next preview, whatever it may be. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Kelly Quinlan, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.